0: Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today day because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast. Once again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds, seated here in the Boys in Blue podcast studio, and we're down here in Mesa, Arizona, and life is good. We're just now, I don't know, this is being recorded now, in, right in the Throes of summer. We've had 48 days this year over 110 degrees. So if you're somewhere up in the cool northwest, I know I have a lot of friends up there. I've got some friends down over there in Boston and also over down and down there in Florida. Enjoy your weather. We're a little bit toasty here, but we're good. Now, I have as my guest today, uh, he's a guy who knows something about the heat. (laughs) Not only has he been in Arizona just for a long, long time, but he's a deputy sheriff, uh, chief deputy sheriff in Maricopa County here in Arizona. And I want to welcome to the podcast, Jerry Sheridan. How are you doing today, Jerry? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Jerry, you were on. Go ahead. I've got a quick, funny story about the heat.
0: Okay. I I was a
1: young deputy. We used to wear cowboy boots, um, and they had to be highly polished. So I was standing there directing traffic one day, and it was so hot. I looked down, and the wax had melted off my boots, And it was surrounded my feet like uh, uh,
0: chalk marks. That's how hot it it was here in Arizona. (laughs) Jeez. Well, now, you probably spent enough time directing traffic. You were on the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office for 38 years, was it?
1: 38 years as a full-time employee, and two years before that, I was a volunteer reserve deputy sheriff. So I spent a total of 40 years wearing the uniform of a deputy sheriff.
0: Okay, so let me give our audience just a thumbnail sketch here of what's going on, and then we're going to get into it. So you uh, are from the state of New York. You have a genetic makeup that leads you into law enforcement. I think your father and your grandfather were New York City policemen. But you moved out here after your father retired, and at a young age of 18, you became a jailer for the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Then you were, when you got old enough, became a deputy, you worked your way up through the ranks to deputy chief, retired a couple years ago, and now you are running for the sheriff position of Maricopa County this year the election here in november you won the primary for the republican ticket and uh, so that kind of brings us up to date now what i would right. like to talk about is you were born and raised there in new york city i That's was
1: and wow. i was queens new york uh, my dad my grandfather was not a police officer but my dad and my uncles were oh okay and my uncles. Uh, yeah my it was my uncles and I grew up around them and all their friends, and uh, it, it was a big family affair back in New York. And when we moved out here to Arizona, I was 18 years old. I discovered the sheriff's office, and you could be a sworn officer in Arizona back then at the age of 18. So I became a volunteer, reserve deputy sheriff, and then when I figured out I needed a job, I became a detention officer. And then I went on to be a deputy sheriff and uh, retired as the chief deputy in December of 2016 after a total of 40 years with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. And I'm telling you, it was an honor and a privilege to wear that uniform every day and to
0: serve the public and be a leader in the sheriff's office. Well, I tell you, and if you anybody that listens to my podcast, I say it almost every time because it always just amazes me. Being in law enforcement, as an officer especially, is not a career. It's a calling. It's just something about it. Uh, you just want to, you know, help people and make sure justice is served. And it's just something that gets in your genes and you miss it. And when you leave, it's, 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 it's a mixed emotions, I know. So you started out as in the detention, as a detention officer. How was right. that back back in the day? That was 40 years ago. What was that like?
1: Well, it was uh, the jail I worked in was pretty crude. It was uh, bars like uh, Alcatraz. Uh, you had to pull the lever uh, to unlock Gosh. the doors. And then you had to pull another lever to... <laughs> To oh, actually open the doors uh, and, uh, yeah, there was a, it was a no-frills jail. Oh, It was boy. Quite, quite different than the modern
0: facilities uh, we have today. You know, and I tell people, um, that was probably the most valuable experience uh, to prepare you for the road deputy that you could ever have. Um, when I was, I'm retired from Pierce County Sheriff's Office up there in Washington state. Mm-hmm. And, uh, people have heard me talk about it before, but part of the probationary period, they would, uh, put you up in the jail to work the jail for 30 days, just so you could see what it was like. But when you put the arm on someone and said, you're going to jail, you know what you were doing to the poor guy. And well, I'm telling yeah. you what,
1: yeah. Well, you also get to know how to talk to people. You know, law enforcement is a people business. And I think one of the issues we see around the country today is we're hiring officers and deputies that come from a generation that has spent most of their life uh, growing up on an electronic device, on a telephone, on an iPad, on video games. And they mm. lost the, the skills and ability to communicate with people. And that's not all of it, but it, it's a, it's a part of it. Because I also taught at the community college level for 22 years. And I also noticed over that time that as time went on, you know, the students were less and less engaged with each other and certainly with me as the instructor. And I figured out one day walking in the campus that they're, they're not talking to each other. They're all on their phones, uh, texting each other, probably texting each other right next to each other for all I knew. And they're walking through the campus. No, There was no conversation anymore.
0: Well, you and, know...
1: That's important yeah. because law enforcement is about dealing with people. We're in the people business.
0: I agree hundred percent. In fact, that is a common theme that I hear from veteran officers. Uh, mm. In fact, one of one of my good friends here in Mesa has been on, you know, almost 20 years and I asked him what advice he'd give to a rookie. And that was what he said, learn to talk to people and communicate. He said, I get these young guys out here and, Uh, They just don't know. They don't take the time or develop the skills to be personable with some. But anyway, so you started out in the jail. And like I say, that's valuable experience for anyone. And uh, let me ask you this. Now, this is uh, something I noticed when I worked the jail. There was guys up in that jail that I continued to run into my whole career. The same guys. (laughs) Yep. They get out for a while and go back in. They get out for a while and there you'd see him on the street over and over again. Did you have that experience, Jerry?
1: Yes, I did. And there's one inmate in particular. When I was a detention officer, he was the funniest guy in the house, right? And he was just hilarious. If he would have put his mind into being a comedian, he would have been the next uh, Chris Rock or Richard Pryor or something. And years and years later, now I was a lieutenant, a deputy sheriff lieutenant. And I happened to be working, um, in the transportation division of the sheriff's office. And here he comes. I recognize him immediately on the chain and but he wasn't that same happy guy anymore. Mm. You know, he'd been in and out and in and out of that system. So I, I pulled him aside and I talked to him. And he remembered me. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, the drugs are just just eating me alive and, mm. and all that. I felt bad for the guy because, you know, I, I thought about him for a lot of years and wondered what happened to him. And there he was on the chain. Uh, looking, you know, like fifty years older instead of the
0: fifteen years older that he should have looked. Yeah, it's a hard life for telling. Them. Well, one yeah. of my favorite favorite podcasts, and maybe you know uh, the guest I had. His name was he was the director of prisons there, um, Ernest Terrell. I don't know if you know him or not, but he was mm-hmm. in—he uh, just retired here recently. He was the director of Arizona prisons, and boy, I tell you, he could tell you some stories about. The MH, you know, they, half of them are geniuses. You know, if they just apply what they were, yep. the con they were yep. doing on the street, they just apply it to something law about it, they'd be tall clover. Yeah. But anyway, so now you uh, got on the, as a deputy. Tell me how about your rise through the ranks? How did that go for you? Was it a straight line okay. up? Or? Well,
1: I can tell you that um, my dad was a grunt Marine in the. In the Korea War era, and he uh, when NYPD got he retired as a lieutenant. And when I came out here, I got hired as a deputy sheriff. He, you looked at me and he said, "You know what, kid?" He said, uh, "Just like in the Marines, it's um, it's a boss's job. Uh, things are easier for you, and you can do a lot more things for the people." Uh, that work on the line if you have rank and position. And so that's what gave me the the drive, the idea to put my time in as a deputy sheriff, got promoted to corporal, uh, had a a squad, and then I got promoted to sergeant, of course, I had a squad. Then I was a lieutenant and, of course, captain of a couple of different, patrol substations and then one day i got uh, a call from uh, sheriff joe and said uh, i want to see you so i drove down there and you know thinking uh oh, what did i do now you know why am i in trouble and he <laughs> said hey he says uh yeah right don't we all have that that guilty <laughs> sure, conscience? Yeah, right. and, and, and he says hey um he says you're ready for change And I said, yeah, sure, Sheriff, because, you know, you never tell your boss no, right? And um, he says, oh, you want to go to Gila Bend? Well, I live in Fountain Hills, so that's a long drive to go to Gila Bend every day to go to work. And I said, Sheriff, that's where you want me to go. I'll go. And he looked at me and goes, no. He says, I want to promote you to chief over the patrol bureau. And that's how I got promoted to chief. You know, every one of those other positions, you have to test. You have to take an interview. You have to apply for the job. I mean, it's not easy to get promoted. Yeah, absolutely, And this yeah. was the first time that, you know, he just called me on, on Wednesday. And on Friday, I had brought my wife and kids down there. And next thing you know, I was chief over the patrol bureau for the entire county, which is 9,000. A lot of people don't realize it, but it's 9,226 square miles. It's bigger than seven states. and um now we have today we have about 4.5 million people here it's quickly growing into it's right now it's the third largest uh the fourth largest county in the country and it's quickly going to become the third largest county um it's the fastest largest growing county in the nation and has been the last three four years
0: my goodness well, so big I deal. knew um, I had as my guest. I think I mentioned this to you, uh, Larry Went. Oh was, yeah. Uh, now, did you take his place? Was that it, or how'd that work? Or was he was a deputy no, chief? Wasn't no, he?
1: L- Larry, Larry, and I, we were deputies together uh, a long time ago, back in the back in the seventies, and uh, you know we've known each other since then. And Larry went his way; I went my way. And, uh, Larry was, uh, he was the chief over the jails. So Larry had retired, um, I think before I made chief
0: okay. Uh, okay.
1: patrol. Mm-hmm. And then after chief of patrol, I did that for about three years. And then our pilot came back and said, Jerry, are you ready for a change? And I said, Oh, are you going to send me to Gila Bend? <laughs> and he goes, no. <laughs> He says, no, I want you to run the jails for me. And I said, Sheriff, I said, I haven't run the, I haven't been in the jails. I haven't been a detention officer for 20 years. And he says, oh, that's okay. I like the way you do things. And so I ran the jails for 12 years. And we we helped design and plan for the biggest jail construction project ever undertaken by any county to this day when we built i didn't build it the contractors did obviously but when we built the fourth avenue and lower buckeye jail the infrastructure the food factory the transportation hub all those things and hire thousands of people to do that i did that during my tenure uh besides run the fourth largest county jail system in the country every day. It was quite the experience. And little did I know, and I know we haven't really gotten to this yet, how much that experience was going to make me a better candidate for sheriff. And then after that, uh, the sheriff came to me one day and he said, Jerry said, I want you to be my chief deputy. I need some help. I need you to help me fix this. And so I was his chief deputy for six years, and I can tell you they were very difficult years because we had the ACLU, the Obama DOJ, and a federal court case that uh, I was not involved in, but I did get involved in it because I was the chief deputy. Mm -hmm. And um, that that was very difficult, and that consumed probably five of the six years that I
0: was the chief deputy yeah. every day, sure. every day. Yeah. That was, that was quite a thing. And that was one of the, uh, you know, uh, I was glad that uh, president Trump stepped in and, uh, and did the pardons and all that sort of thing. But now a lot of people, like you say, um, okay, you're going to build a building. That's one thing, but to build a secure facility, I don't even know where to begin on that, Jerry. I mean, you must've learned so much i mean uh a, a building where you know it's got to be escape proof and the transportation yeah. hub and all that oh my i don't even know where to begin on that Jeez. yeah oh. Well, you you work you work closely with the architects sure I and mean, you tell them what you tell them
1: what you want you tell them what you need and um what we wound up with was a combination uh, at The 4th Avenue Jail, it's probably the most secure county jail in the nation. And at one time, the, um, the U.S. Marshals brought in uh, some very serious MS-13 gang members that no other county jail in the country could handle. They brought them to us, uh, and we kept them for six months with, without incident, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how secure and what a good job the architects, my staff, did in designing that facility. And what we did is we took Pelican Bay in California, a very infamous jail, according to the ACLU. And um, the, the not the Lewis, the um, Iman Complex in Florence, Arizona. The Arizona State Prison System. And we took the best features out of both of those facilities to make our Supermax cells. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And it worked out great. Wow. That's and that's uh, super secure. And it's secure for the inmates themselves and for the officers that have to work there.
0: Okay, so you are going, you are now running for sheriff. So I want to ask you a few questions about that. Okay. So so you retire, and the current sheriff, former sergeant in Phoenix PD, I believe. um, Correct. After all the Obama harassment of Sheriff Arpaio and the money that poured in from the Democratic Party, uh, sheriff Joe lost that race to the current sheriff.
1: And in, including George Soros. George Soros put in $3.2 million into the county race. So money speaks
0: but, in these elections. Yeah, uh, sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so were you retired uh, when the current sheriff took over?
1: Yes, chief deputies uh, retire when their sheriff loses. I see. Okay. It, it, it,
0: it's just a, a fact of life. Sure. That's what happens. Now, but your experience in the sheriff's office, and a lot of people don't realize this. They see the deputy out in the street, but they don't realize, and I've got a lot to learn about that. I'm not sure about that. But um, it seems to me that the jail is would take up more be more time consuming and work intensive than actual patrol. Is that true? I mean you have that the facilities, several of them, and plus the staffing is all comes under the sheriff's venue. How does that work, Jerry?
1: The sheriff um is broken down seventy-five percent of the sheriff's office is the county jail system. In Maricopa County. And the other 25% is the law enforcement side. So you can see that three quarters of the sheriff's office is the jail operation. And it is very time consuming, very litigious. I mean, those inmates have nothing to do better than to sit there and write grievances and write lawsuits and complaints. And so it takes up a lot of administrative time. Uh, especially compared to the patrol function, the law enforcement function, the detective side. And, you know, that's one thing that a lot of um, people that work in a police organization are not prepared to be the sheriff because they don't have jails. They don't have that function. Uh, And if they do, it's a little holding cell, temporary facility. Um, It's nothing like the requirements for housing uh, inmates waiting to go to trial and all the civil rights that they have as unsentenced prisoners compared to somebody that's been sentenced to a DUI and is going to spend 48 hours, 30 days in jail. Uh, There's different rights. There's different uh, constitutional rights. To those types of inmates, and it, it gets actually gets very technical. Plus, the medical issues they have to be tended to, the laundry, the hygiene, um, uh, OSHA yeah. regulations. Sure. Or, um, yeah. You know, you you can just imagine the security issues, the crimes that go on behind bars. Um, it's it's mind boggling. The crimes that go on over the telephone. You know, back in 1999, when I took over the jail system, I started the uh, jail intelligence unit to begin to monitor the telephone conversations um, to uh, stop crimes from occurring, stop uh, attempted escapes, to stop assaults on officers as they were planning them. Uh, Over the years, those jail intelligence officers solved murders. They helped other agencies solve murders and other major crimes. And so it's it's a very important tool that we were able to put together because bad guys behind bars, they don't stop being bad guys. (laughs) Uh, Right? I mean, they, they continue on with their criminal enterprises. And I can tell you, the current sheriff we have right now, he has given them the greatest tool to continue with their criminal enterprises. He's given them iPads. He's given them access to the Internet. He's given them access to uh, phone calls over the iPads. And it's next to impossible for the jail intelligent people to keep track of what they're doing. And that is fraught with disaster just for all the reasons I told you a few seconds ago. My
0: goodness. My goodness. Okay. So obviously uh, the current sheriff did not have the jail experience. And I think this is anybody listening is probably news. It is to me. I knew that, it was at least fifty-fifty, but I didn't realize that the jails took up seventy-five percent. Man, that is a big part of the whole thing. But at the mm-hmm. same time, what most people see are the deputies on the road, and we can't ever forget them either. So, um, right, it's quite a, an operation being a sheriff. You just don't. I mean, it seems to me that you need the vast experience uh, of the jail and street to be effective in that regard. So, tell me, what is your vision for Maricopa County if you were elected, Jerry?
1: Well, the the number one thing that I'm going to have to deal with is the crisis of staffing and patrol. Uh, they are currently 144 deputy sheriffs short. Um, that represents 25 percent of the sworn. Staffing. That means detectives are not there to investigate crimes. That means deputy sheriffs in uniforms are not out there in patrol cars keeping people safe. So I'm going to have to deal with that crisis first. And here's how I'm going to start to do it. The stroke of midnight on December 31st of this year, when I become the new sheriff, I will be in my uniform in my sheriff's truck and Stacy, my wife of 32 years, wants to come with me. We're going to go out there and drive around to all the substations and tell the deputies there's a new sheriff in town. Just please go do your job. Do not fear the administration any longer. And a lot of people know me from my past history. A lot of people have quit since I left, but they are very vocal supporters of mine, and um, the word is out there. The vast majority of the people at the sheriff's office want me to get elected. They want me to come back, and to be honest with you, that's the only reason I'm running. I made twice as, as much as the sheriff does as the chief deputy. So I'm doing all this for half a cut and pay. I'm not doing this for money. I'm not yeah. doing this for publicity. I'm mm. not doing this for my ego. I'm doing this for the passion of the love of the job, the people that do it day in and day out, all thirty four hundred of them, citizen, uh civilian employees, detention officers and deputies included, and the great job they do for the People out there. I mean, it's a fun job. Even working in the jail, it it was. I loved working in the jail also, uh, and it's a job that's very satisfying. And what I want to bring back to all of them is the nobility of the law enforcement job, and I think that's what people talk about. It's in your blood. It's who you become as a person it's that nobility and pride and you know it when you save somebody's life when you take a drunk driver off the road when when you stop somebody from fighting it reminds me of a story just as I said that you know uh, of a domestic violence call on Christmas Eve we go there the husband and wife are violently fighting the, uh, on top of the Christmas tree and the presents are all broken up and there's two little kids about five and six years old just bawling their eyes out in the corner of the room. And so we took mom and dad and put them in two different patrol cars and I went back in the living room and those kids they grabbed my legs and they would not let go until we got grandma and grandpa there. Wow, wow, I'll, ne- I'll yeah. never forget that. No. That's that's what we do. You know, I hate to see kids cry. Oh, sure. Th- that day, it was, anyway, I'm talking about this probably 40 years later. That was an yeah. emotional moment for me when they grabbed my legs and they wouldn't let go. They didn't want me to leave.
0: Boy, things incidents like that make it all worth it, don't they? Yeah for sure. It does. It does. Yeah, you put up with all the BS from the ACLU
1: and all these people that think you're a bad person and all that. You know what? You know, they can go to heck. That's all I can tell (laughs) them because uh, we do this job to help people protect people. You know, there's this whole group defund the police and these left-wing ideologies of, you know, about uh, taking away the tools of policing and all this stuff. Let me tell you something. I spent all my life around cops. I never heard one of them say, yeah, I want to go to work
0: today and hurt somebody. Exactly. No. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, will tell you, boy. Yeah. So anyway, how in the world did we get a deficit of 144 positions? Huh very is, easy. There, is there resources to hire but they're just not or can't find people how's that work no i'll tell you
1: the money's the money's already budgeted and allocated mm, um, okay it's a it's a, it's a complete lack of leadership from a sergeant from Phoenix PD that's the current sheriff he has no comp- here's my opinion i have a master's degree in organizational management Um, You know, so I've taken some psychology classes. I've taught leadership at the college level. Uh, My opinion, my learned opinion is he has had no command experience whatsoever. He was his claim to fame. He was a sergeant in the public relations field at Phoenix PD. That's where he made his mark at Phoenix PD. So now he steps into the position of being the chief law enforcement officer of Maricopa County, the sheriff of the fourth largest county in the nation. He's in over his head. He doesn't have the confidence in himself. He's got the ego, but he doesn't have the confidence and ability and he knows it. And so subsequently, he doesn't trust himself. So then he doesn't trust anyone else in his staff. Matter of fact, some of the people that he brought over, as a matter of fact, all of them except one that I'm aware of, that he brought over with him from Phoenix PD, quit on him in a short period of time. And so other people, career law enforcement officers, career deputy sheriffs began to quit on him because he didn't have the confidence in them. He started investigating everybody for everything. Mm-hmm. There was there was there was just a a uh, newspaper article last week uh, from the Associated Press. It was on the local news. There are a hundred, uh, 1,800 active internal investigations against the employees of MCSO, and most of them are over four hundred days old. Um. They only have, by state law, he only he only has 180 days to, from start to finish. Otherwise, he's in violation of state law. Yeah, so go we'll yeah. figure out why nobody's chased him down for that. So they live and work under a very oppressive mm-hmm. uh, organization. Mm-hmm. So they've been quitting since 2017. Mm-hmm. This has happened over the last three and a half years he can't just blame this on the local uh uh, or the recent uh you know defund the police and low morale across the country this has happened since 2017 Uh, this uh, is why i'm running i'm uh, running because the people at mcso began to ask me to run in 2017 as people began to quit and i'll make it quick but i'll give you a great example I went to the police academy with with a guy, and he was a great deputy sheriff. His son, growing up, grew up in the passenger seat of his dad's patrol car. I watched him grow up. He became a deputy sheriff. He was promoted to lieutenant. He worked for me as a lieutenant. He worked. He was great deputy sheriff, dedicated, knew the job. Given difficult assignments and all that, I I retire, I leave. He quits about eight months a year, I may, maybe uh, a year later, uh, with 18 years on the job, to go get a job in a small town police department in northern Arizona. This guy was born and bred to be a Maricopa County Sheriff's deputy, but yet he couldn't take it because he's mm. got this city sergeant running the sheriff's office. Yeah. And his, his culture's difference. You know, you worked for Sure, sure. sure. Yeah, There's absolutely. a culture difference between a municipal police department and a sheriff.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it goes back, Jerry, to what you said, learning to communicate and talk with people And one observation I made, uh, being a deputy and then also um, being affiliated with municipalities, you know, a city cop, uh, he gets on the radio and calls for a backup. Two minutes, he's got 12 guys there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you get a deputy out there. Somewhere in the hinterlands and he calls for backup. He, he may wait 45 minutes. <laughs> so you learn to kind of communicate with people. Are um, well, uh, you going know, to walk away?
1: I've got a great story to illustrate that point. The day I learned that lesson, I was relatively new deputy, maybe on a couple months. It was a Sunday morning. I got a call of a traffic accident minor traffic accident, I get out there and I find out there's this there's this little old lady and there's a uh an outlaw motorcycle gang member. Right? So I go up to this very big Burly outlaw motorcycle gang member with all my hundred and forty five pounds soaking wet and I says, Hey, can I get your driver's license and proof of insurance? And he looks at me and he goes, F you and he turns around, he starts to walk away, and I says, hey, wait a second, I need to talk to you. And he turns around, and he goes, F you. And it's like, hey, I'm talking to you, mister, and turns around, and guess what? Fight's on now. And so I, I learned out, I learned real quickly that you can get somebody on the ground. Because I was in great shape, because I just got out of the police academy, right? And he wasn't in such great shape. So after about 10 minutes of struggling around, I got him on the ground, but I couldn't get the handcuffs on him by myself until some some guy passing by got out of his car. I wish I knew who this guy was. He helped me get the handcuffs on him, jumped back in his car, and took off. But, you know, you've got (laughs) to learn those skills of how to talk to people. Right. I mean, you just can't say, hey, I got a badge and a gun here. You need to do Uh, what I say. It doesn't work that way. No, no, it doesn't. And and, but I tell you what, I learned I learned my lesson that day because my backup. Was.
0: Forty five minutes. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the difference in being a deputy in a municipality. Now, nothing against the municipalities. They need those backup immediately oh yeah oh yeah const- I, I relied on them yeah they sure. they,
1: they they knew an mcso call for a backup they'd send 10 guys because they sure. knew when a deputy sheriff was called for a backup
0: they need they really yeah. needed the help yeah. well i had a partner so. who says why call for a backup by the time they get here it's all over anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well so okay jerry we're gonna wrap up here pretty quick but i want to give you a chance now Tell me about being a sheriff of Maricopa. I want to hear what you have to offer people other than I know the, the morale issue is really tugs at your heart because you see, you know, uh, something you were in charge of for so long, just kind of going down the tubes. And it makes sense. Uh, the current guy, he, he, he stepped into something way over his head. I mean, uh, right. not, I mean, just to inherit a jail system when you come off a of, supervising a squad of patrol guys in Phoenix. That's major. And mm-hmm. um, I know that there's a lot of polit- po- politicians and things involved in this whole gig. Uh, you don't hear a word about the current sheriff because he's a Democrat. Now, if it was a Republican right. doing any of that, I mean, it, they'd be harassed and falling around like they did Joe. So tell me about how this is going to work. I mean, as when you become sheriff, I know the morale issue. What else you got going on? All right,
1: I, I know time's very short, so I'll give you one other issue. Okay, and this is the key issue. This is the key issue today. You heard President Trump talk about it in his uh, acceptance speech. Um, civil unrest is. This is just the beginning. We've had a major riot in Phoenix, Scottsdale, and Tempe. The current sheriff sat on his ass and did nothing. The sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of this county. The sheriff gets that authority from the people through the Arizona constitution. He has a constitutional obligation. It says it right there in the law to prevent, suppress a phrase and riots. He has not done so. I, as your sheriff, as a constitutional conservative republican will not be standing behind my deputies and posse members which i will bring back by the way i telling them what to do i will be in front of them helping the phoenix police department scottsdale police department tempe police department in suppressing these riots because they need the help and it's the sheriff's constitutional responsibility to do that. There is as big a difference between the current Democrat sheriff that you have and what I represent as a career deputy sheriff who is now seeking to be your sheriff as there is between President Trump and Joe Biden. You have that big of a difference of a choice between me and Sergeant Paul.
0: Well, I tell you what, Jerry,
1: critical. It's critical who your sheriff is because the civil unrest is not going to stop. They've already threatened that. You need somebody that's going to be out there to protect your
0: safety and your property. Well, there's only one thing that would keep me from voting for you, Jerry. Now, this may not be fair to you, but I'm going to ask you to commit to something. If, in fact, you become the sheriff of Maricopa County, will you make a commitment not to kneel with the protesters? (laughs) Well,
1: that's (laughs) normally part of my speech. (laughs) <laughs> I only I kneel is kneeling is a sign of submission. Yeah, I only kneel before God. There you and go,
0: life. Well, it sounds like, and I I'm promise, gonna, I'm going to pull the lever for you, Jerry. <laughs> Nothing irritates <laughs> me more, I'll tell you. Yeah. So, listen, Jerry. Thank you so much for joining us on on the Boys in Blue podcast. And best to you on your run for sheriff of Maricopa County. And we'll have to have you on the podcast after the election to see how things shake out. But thank you again, and we'll see you again on the road. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.